Uh, it is a new school year, and so we want to just take the time to say thank you to those of you that serve the next generation as teachers, as administrators, as school secretaries. So I want to take a moment to pray for you. Uh, it's a big time of year, big change of season for a lot of folks, uh, and a lot of you are involved. So what I want to do is if you are a school teacher, administrator, secretary, if you're in a private school, public school, home school, whatever it may be, if you're involved in that education process, will you go ahead and stand up so that I can, uh, we can recognize you? Let's give them a hand, and then I want to pray for you guys. We consider it a, a really a rich treasure, a stewardship that we would get to influence the next generation to teach them about the world that God has made, but also to influence them spiritually and teach them about what it looks like to be a godly person that loves God. So I want to pray for you and pray that God would empower you whatever sphere you're in. God, we uh, thank you for these folks and we pray that you would fill them with your spirit, uh, that you would give them perseverance. Uh, We all face different difficulties and so we pray for your help for them through the particular obstacles that they're facing in the places that they are and that you would empower them and strengthen them uh, to fulfill fulfill their calling uh, and be a godly influence on the next generation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate it. Y'all did a better job at standing. The first service people, they were like, stand up, sit down, stand up. Y'all stayed standing. Thank you. I didn't have to admonish you too much. Um, We are now going to enter into a new series, a new sermon series for the fall, really just leading all the way up until Christmas time, and then we'll look at some passages focusing on the birth of Jesus at Christmas time. But this new series is going to be called Partnership. It's the name of the new series. It's also the name of the sermon today. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open your Bible to Philippians chapter 1. This word, partnership, specifically appears again and again throughout the book of Philippians. So we wanted to start here. Uh, And then what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to do a topical series where we follow this word, partnership, and the other activities of being a gospel partner together as God's people. Other words like membership is another word for that. And then there are several passages that talk about what we sometimes call the one another's. There are these repeated statements throughout the scripture that say we are to love one another and serve one another and forgive one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's where we're going for the next 12 weeks. Uh, And I want to give you a little bit of background of how we started uh, getting here, right? Because we're teaching this particular series so that we can kind of backfill you with the process that the elders and pastors have been working through over really several years now. Um, What this series is going to lead us into is a formal partnership agreement at our church. So to give you a little bit of background, historically, our Grace Bible Church Constitution, our founding document kind of says these are the, this is how our church is going to operate. It was a little bit vague about what it means to be a member of the local church. It really emphasized what it means to be a member of Jesus's universal body, which we loved, and that's a good thing, but it was confusing about how do you actually like sign up to be a part of Grace Bible Church? Basically what it said Um, And spoiler alert, we've changed it. So that's part of what the series is about. Um, We we have changed the Constitution. It's online if you want to go read it. Um, It used to say, if you love Jesus, you're a part of his universal church. Yes, we agree with that still. And then if you show up as a Christian at this church, you're a member of this church. And so that's a little confusing, right? That just means any Christian that walks in the doors and attends is a member automatically Uh, And what we started to figure out is that's a little confusing for people. Repeatedly, we were having people ask us, how do I get more involved? What does it mean to be a part of this church? And that became a little difficult to explain. Again, it wasn't terrible, uh, but what happened was about two years ago, the elders 
at our church started reading a book on eldership. And so at our church, we're led by elders and pastors. The word's really used interchangeably in the scriptures, but we kind of have a governing board of elders that are mostly lay ministers, and then we have staff pastors that work for the church. And those kind of boards work together, but the board of elders make these final decisions. And as elders, we were reading this book on eldership, a book by Jeremy Wren, and it had a chapter that convicted all of us. And the chapter was about following up on lost sheep, right? So an elder, a pastor's job is to shepherd. Literally, the word pastor means shepherd. And so that job entails really biblically two things. That is feeding people with the word of God. And so that's why teaching is always central to being an elder or a pastor in a church. But it also is this whole concept of of leading and caring and guiding like a shepherd would. If someone's in trouble saying, hey, are you okay? Can we help you? How can we come alongside you when you're struggling? Uh, And so what we recognized was when people disappear, we often don't even notice. And that's not because we're just cold people that don't care about you. It's because we're in a unique city, and I don't know if you know this about the city, but people come and go every two years, right? Some of you have figured that out. People come and go really frequently here. And so in the 11 years that we've existed as a church, we've been like five different churches, right? Because so many people have turned over and come and gone what we realized was that was making us numb to people coming and going. And as shepherds, that's not a good thing. So we were really wrestling and praying through, we need a better system to actually know who wants to be here, right? Because it works great for those of you that are healthy and you're walking with Jesus. You're like, all right, I want to be here. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be in a small group. I'm going to involve myself, right? And so it's easy to shepherd people that involve themselves. But what if you're going through a hard time and you just stop showing up to church, it's hard for us to tell the difference between someone that needs a phone call and a prayer and someone that has moved to another army base, right? Like, it's just hard to know the difference. And so we started wrestling with that. We need to know better who's here, who wants to be here, just for the simple, uh, simple fact so we can have a list and so we can call people up and say, hey, how can we pray for you? What's going on in your life? So just better follow-up, how we can pray for you and encourage you. Um, and then something else happened. We were already in the middle of that. And then in 2015, the U.S. government changed the definition of marriage in our country. Uh, we, we have a biblical conviction that marriage is to be between a man and a woman. Um, it's to be permanent. Uh, and so with that definition, we're actually now in a weird situation where Christian lawyers are saying you could, you could come under legal fire, right? That there are some ways in which we might be vulnerable to being sued because of our beliefs. And so they advised all Christian schools and churches and camps to basically go back over their founding documents and say, hey, do you have that defined? And then also, do you have defined, like, who are the leaders of your church? And do you have a definition of who are the actual members of your organization? So we realize, okay, we have kind of a kind of sloppy definition of who members are. It's kind of unclear, confusing to people. So we went into this year and a half, two-year period of rewriting the Constitution. So again, that's available online. If you go online now, our, our new Constitution is on there. Just finished that over the last few months. Um, but what that led us to is here, this idea that, you know what, we, we want to have a process to say who wants to be here and who doesn't. We will always continue to be a church that welcomes visitors, that welcome people that are just checking us out. We, we always have folks that are not sure about Jesus showing up week after week, and we love that and want to continue to be that kind of place. But it's helpful for organizational reasons to know who's actually bought in and who considers themselves a part of what we're doing here. So In about six or seven weeks, we're going to give out forms that say, basically give you an opportunity to say, I love Jesus, and I want to be a part of this church. 
right? Pretty simple. I'm maybe oversimplifying it, but that's basically what we're entering into, a process where you can sign up and say, yeah, I'm in. I want to be here. I I agree with the church. I'm a follower of Jesus and sign on the dotted line. So we're headed there. We'll kind of give you more information about that as we unroll it. But what we thought was, you know what? We need to kind of now go backwards and unpack for you as a whole congregation, what does the Bible have to say about this subject? The Bible has a lot to say about it. And what happens is the Bible is very clear that we as believers need to consider ourselves brothers and sisters and commit ourselves to each other. So we have to commit ourselves to each other, which is hard for us if if you're like me, 21st century American. We kind of don't like to commit to anything. So the Bible commands that. And then the Bible leaves a lot of openness to local churches to decide how we're going to do it. So we've established a plan. We've got forms we're going to pass out in six or seven weeks, and, you know, and we have some details worked out for that. But what we want to do now is go back and look at the Scripture and say, what are the larger principles? What does it look like to love each other and to walk with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ? Okay? So let's dig in. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. We're going to look at different Scriptures each week. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some black Bibles in front of you. Dan, what page is it on that black Bible? Nine what? 981. Page 981 in the black Bibles. It's Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 7. I'm going to jump to some other verses in Philippians as we move through this morning, but this is kind of like the main meat here. This is where the word shows up. Uh, The word partnership in Greek is koinonia. Anybody ever heard that word before? If you've ever been to Sunday school uh, a few times, you may have heard that. That's often translated as fellowship, right? Fellowship. Fellowship for a lot of us can have the meaning of chicken dinners and ice cream and jello molds, right? If you grew up in a, like a traditional southern church, that's often what fellowship means. But the Greek word means something more like a business partnership or being a family member, really being committed to each other. That's really what the word means. And so in the New Testament, it's sometimes translated fellowship. It's sometimes translated partnership. Uh, and you know, even, even today, we have the fellowship as a business partnership, meaning with uh, the movie that came out, the book that came out, right? You know what I'm talking about? Lord of the Rings. It's called The Fellowship of the Ring, right? Just a few nerdy people are shaking their heads. The rest of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, you can go look it up. It's a great movie. All right, I'm going to read now Philippians 1, 3 through 7. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. We stop there and let me pray for us. Uh, I pray that God would teach us this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We receive it as a gift from you, and we pray that you would guide us as we enter into uh, a little bit of a cultural shift for us as an organization and as a gathering of your people. We pray for your help. Pray that you would unite us and that you'd help us to see uh, what you want us to see in a scripture here. Um, Help us to make the main things the main things. Help us to make secondary things secondary things. But most of all, Father, we pray that, that Jesus would be lifted up, that we would see more of Jesus in this process. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the goal now is we've rewritten our Constitution. I forgot to say this one detail. It used to say if you're a believer and you come here, you're a member. Now it says if you commit to the church and you're a believer, 
than you're a member, right? So it's really a, a kind of a fine change there, but basically now it's just saying you actually have to say, I want to be a member um, and still be a believer. You can't <laughs> that's still part of it. We want you to love Jesus as kind of part of what it means to be a part of what we're doing here. Um, the first thing that I want us to see on that subject is that if you're going to be a gospel partner, if you're going to be involved in partnership in the New Testament sense, that gospel partners receive grace. And Paul talks about this in this section, uh, that there is a kind of starting point. I picked this section of scripture as we look at this, you know, it's talked about in a million different places in the New Testament. I wanted to start here because Paul does this beautiful thing where he entangles the spiritual reality of being a partaker of the grace we have in Jesus, and he entangles that with like the concrete strategic realities of, hey, I'm actually helping with money and time and resources, right? I'm doing practical, concrete things to serve the local church. Paul mixes all that up, right? Uh, we kind of like to separate them out, and for the purpose of teaching, I'm separating it a little bit here, but, but you need to know that Paul entangles it together. He says, if you love Jesus, you're going to do things that look like loving Jesus, right? And if you do things that look like loving Jesus, you should be doing that because you actually love Jesus, not to just like trick people and make people think that you love Jesus. It should be a deep spiritual reality. And so I want to focus here on receiving grace. We all need to receive grace. Verse 3, Paul is thanking God. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, or Texan, that would be y'all for those of you from out of state, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. So why is Paul praying with joy, right? He's like bubbling up. He's happy about these people. He's thanking God for them again and again. And if you're like me, I'm kind of tempted to say, oh, well, that's because Paul's really holy. He's thanking God for them just because he's an apostle. And maybe that's part of it. But he says he's got a because here, right? Verse 5, he says, I have this joy. I'm thanking God for you, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So he's saying, there was a first day. There was a beginning where you entered into this realm of gospel fellowship. You entered into this realm of gospel sharing. You're sharing in the gospel. What is the gospel? I spent a year in Romans. I encourage you to go back and listen to some of those recordings if you missed those, but we looked at the gospel again and again. In Romans, Paul's just looking at the gospel from every different angle. And the gospel essentially is the word good news. There's this good message. And every week we come and gather ourselves here to devote ourselves to that good news. And the good news is that even though we all are broken and we deserve judgment, the God of the universe, the judge of the universe, extends grace. He extends pardon to us in Jesus. The gospel is that our sins were nailed on the cross with Jesus and that we are now set free from those sins, that our sins died with Christ and there's a new us, a new identity. We've risen to new life with him. Because of his resurrection, we now have the promise of new life and that sets us free to now be good news to others, to share that good news to others with our words, but also to serve others in love. And so Paul's saying, I'm with joy, I'm thanking God because you bought into this gospel. This good news was good news to you. And so that's my first question to you is, have you received this grace? Have you bought into this gospel? Do you recognize the grace that God has for you? Are you still maybe living under the burden of your own performance? And I think even those of us that have received grace can sometimes forget 
and slip back into the need to perform, thinking, God doesn't like me very much today because I didn't perform very well today. I know I'm tempted to that, and I have to come back again and again to the gospel and say, no, he's pleased with me in Jesus. The good news is that God is as delighted in you as he is delighted in his very own son because you're hidden in Christ. When God sees you, he sees you in Jesus. He delights in you. He thinks you're beautiful. He thinks you're perfect. He thinks you are righteous because he's given you the righteousness of Christ. Have you received that grace? Have you received that good news? Paul says that's where it starts. That's where people enter into a gospel partnership. So here's the cool thing. I said before that we as leaders have to kind of determine how we're going to organize ourselves as a group, right? And that church to church, there's lots of freedom. All, a lot of churches do things differently. And I think one of the biggest problems is when a church tries to defend the way they're doing it as the only way, really unhealthy, right? We're just saying, this is the best way we could figure out how to organize ourselves here, right? We prayed, we studied the scriptures. It's the best way we could figure out how to organize ourselves. But you know what? There's this other cool thing that Paul's going to talk about. And that is, if you've received this grace, God is haunting you. He's not going to let you go. And real changes are going to happen in your life, right? So even if you're like, Dave, I don't buy in. This is stupid. I don't like how you're organizing things. That's fine. If you know Jesus, he's not going to let you go. He's going to hound you, and you're going to end up committing yourselves to believers somewhere because that's what believers do, right? We commit ourselves to love each other and to live as family. And so even if you're not super excited about how we're doing that here, Paul would say this to you. He says, verse 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace in my imprisonment and in the defense of the gospel. So as he moves towards the end of chapter, or verse 7, he starts to talk about that partnership in grace actually looked like people helping him in prison and in his defense of the gospel, and I'm going to talk about that more at the end. As I said, Paul tangles this all together. He tangles being in Christ with serving strategically other people that are in Christ, We'll look more at that serving stuff later on. But what I want you to see is that he says that the one that began this good work in you, this good news, the one that bought you, the one that saved you, the one that died for you, is going to finish what he started. And it is, it's so easy for us to forget that. Do you ever forget that? I, I drift. I need to re-receive that grace. I need to be reminded of that grace, right? I believe when you receive the grace of the gospel and you start to walk with Jesus, you're in his hand and nothing can separate you from the love of God, right? Romans 8 is very clear. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. So you're in him. Nothing can take you from that. But I can drift from living in the full freedom of that. I can drift from remembering that. And we need to be reminded God's going to finish what he started. God's going to complete the work that he began in you. God's going to complete you. God is making us more and more to look like Jesus. And we can all confess None of us look exactly like Jesus today, but spiritually, by faith, we are in Jesus, and he's going to keep shaping you, and he's going to keep shaping me, and he's going to help us to receive more and more of this grace that he has for us in the gospel. I grabbed a picture here of little kids enjoying fresh water. One of the things, if you've, if you've ever done a work in a third world country, just one of the basic things people do uh, when you're giving humanitarian aid, you're trying to help people, is you often will help people get fresh water right? It's just, it's a basic. It's like the bottom line. 
People can't go without water, right? And then the next basic would be food. People need food. You try to help people figure out a way to farm or sustain or start a business so they can feed their families. You try to help people with shelter. There's kind of basic needs that human beings have. And I think it's important that we see here when we talk about kind of the house that we build as Christians building a local church together, that there's that basic need of grace. That, that's the entryway. And so part of our plan as we unfold these forms and have people sign up and say, yeah, I want to be in here, is part of our plan is we just want to have everyone share their testimony of uh, when they first began to believe the good news and, and what that looked like for them. We want to have a focused season as a congregation where we're not, we're not going to put you all up on a microphone, so don't worry. I know the anti-public speaking people might have been scared for a minute there. We're talking like relationally, right? Like me, having a meeting with one of the elders, the pastors, just saying, hey, here's my story. Here's how I started to walk with Jesus. This is what it's looking like. This is what I'm learning. This is where I'm at. Um, Our prayer is that this would lead to a season of us just being reinvigorated about the gospel itself. Like, yeah, this this is what makes us all family. We're all different. We come from different places. We have different experiences. We all sin in different ways, but we have the same gospel, the same Jesus that saves us and makes us part of his family. So that's our prayer is that as we enter into this season of really what might feel like formalism, because we're going to literally pass out forms, right? That it won't really be formalism, it'll be a refocusing on the gospel. That's our prayer, and I would ask you to pray with us as well. Uh, again, we're, we're not saying that this is the best plan, uh, but this is the best thing we could figure out. So pray that you would help us as we move forward. The next thing I want us to see as we think about what it means to be a partner in a local church is that gospel partners follow the Spirit. Gospel partners follow the Spirit. And so I want to jump to chapter 2 in Philippians. So if you flip over just one page, uh, maybe it might be just to the right of you there in your Bible, but in Philippians chapter 2, I want to read verses 1 through 4. We see this picture here uh, of being one because we're all following the same Spirit, same God. It says in verse 1, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so here we see this pattern, and Paul starts that by saying this comes from, verse 1, participation in the Spirit, and that's that same uh, Greek word again, it's that same word koinonia, that same word that we use for partnership and fellowship. It's like if, if you're bought in and if you're walking side by side with the Holy Spirit, this is what it'll actually look like. It'll actually look like us laying aside our selfishness and putting others above ourselves. And that leads to unity. And we need to be careful here. It's not just a magical unity, right? Like, I love Jesus, magically unity happens, Right? But it's a, it's a process of us like rubbing shoulders with each other. I'm so thankful for brothers and sisters in Christ here who test what we're doing as a church and test what I teach as a pastor with the scripture and say, hey, well, well what about this, right? Um, and so that's, that's a kind of friction, right? When people ask questions or when we call each other to account, there's a kind of a friction there. So it's not just like a magical leap to unity where we just all agree all the time. I think that would be heaven, right? That's heaven. Someday we'll just perfectly agree. But on this earth, because we're giving ourselves over to the Spirit, we start putting each other first. We start considering each other's 
uh, needs more than our own, and that's because we're full of this participation in, in grace, and we're following the Spirit, and that helps us to go in the same direction. Again, not magically and in some easy way, but step by step. Through friction, through working it out, through having honest conversations, we begin rowing together. I grabbed a picture here of people rowing. At one time, this was the U.S. rowing team. I don't know if they still are. I found this on the internet. Any of you ever watched a uh, rowing team or sculling team? Have you ever watched that on TV? Raise your hand if you have. Some of you have seen that before. Um, it's a really beautiful picture of unity, right? Um, these guys are strong athletes. They've got a, a lot of physical strength in their arms and legs as they're rowing. They also, though, have to be coordinated, right? They have to be coordinated. And so there's this little dude that sits up front that leads them, right, that coordinates them. He's called the, the coxswain. Is that right? Did I say it right? Okay. Someone briefed me in between services because I was messing that all up. Okay, so the coxswain leads them, right, and he helps them to be coordinated. It's one thing to be a strong athlete, right? You don't just go grab a bodybuilder and throw him on a team and say, all right, go make that team better, right? The team has to work together. It takes practice. It takes time. They, they have to build unity. And so that's the picture we have here in Philippians. Paul is saying if, if you have any encouragement in Christ, if, if you really are a receiver of grace, and you're encouraged by what Christ has done for you, and you have any uh, comfort from love and any participation, partnership in the Holy Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, then complete my joy by being one-minded, by being of the same mind. Start rowing together. And again, this is a process, but the process entails us setting aside the preferences of our flesh and submitting to the Holy Spirit. Submitting to the Holy Spirit. There's another really beautiful picture of this in Galatians. Uh, You can just flip over a couple of pages to the left. uh, Ephesians comes right before Philippians, and then Galatians comes before Ephesians. And in Galatians chapter 5, we have another real key New Testament verse about being in step with the Holy Spirit, following the Holy Spirit, being united in the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say this. Sometimes Christians today that really emphasize being led by the Holy Spirit and being filled by the Holy Spirit often emphasize dramatic displays, right? Dramatic individual displays of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I think God can do whatever God wants to do, right? But I think what's interesting is that the New Testament seems to emphasize the Holy Spirit helping us work together as a team and putting others before ourselves, right? This unity emphasis. Look at Galatians chapter 5. And here Paul is contrasting the works of the flesh versus depending on the Holy Spirit. So when I lean on my flesh, that's me depending on my own strength. What feels good to me, my common sense, what seems right. I have certain strengths. There's things I don't like, things I do like. And God gives us strengths, and it's okay to use those strengths. We just need to not rely on them as if they can save us, right? So let's look at this. Uh, Chapter 5 in Galatians, verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What's really interesting here is Paul gives a mixed-up list. I think this is beautiful. If you kind of assess this culturally, there are uh, liberal sins and conservative sins, right? There are progressive sins, and there are traditional culture sins. There are the sins of those that are follow their own heart, free-minded people, 
And then there are the sins of the backbiting religious types like you and me, right? And so we need to recognize this, that, that our sins are not more forgivable than other people's sins. We need to be very careful. That's part of what helps us to actually to grow in unity is recognize, you know what, we're all sinners. We're all sinners, right? Like this person might be doing these wild, openly rebellious sins, and then these other people are being backbiting and judgmental and participating in division, Right? And so we need to recognize that all sin is sin. All sins are the same. And then Paul goes on and talks about what does it mean to not be caught up in sin? Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep and step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. So again, this is a picture for Paul of what it means to be a Holy Spirit person. It's not personal displays of dramatic things, although that definitely happened in Paul's life. All kinds of miraculous things happened in Paul's life. Spirit was used to do miraculous, amazing things. But he's saying here, hey, church, regular folks, you and me, what it means to be filled by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to follow the Spirit is to be unified, to put others ahead of ourselves, to be filled with love and joy and peace and patience. And that is, that is our prayer. So again, as we talk about a cultural shift in our church, I don't think it's really that big of a cultural shift, but we want to refocus our hearts on what does it mean uh, to follow the Spirit? What does it mean to be one? What does it mean to walk together and to obey the Spirit? A diagnostic question you can ask yourself is if you see the opposite of love and joy and peace and patience popping up in your life, a really good question to ask yourself is, in those moments, what am I seeing as most important? What am I seeing as most important? I think Tim Keller is probably the most famous author today. Paul Tripp has written a lot on the subject as well of talking about we have these particular heart idols, right? And so in a moment, I'm a people pleaser. In a moment, I can get really upset or have a lot of anxiety. And when I have those kind of flare-up emotions, when I'm not feeling peace and love and joy and fruitfulness, I can realize, you know what? I'm not in those moments really treasuring Jesus. I'm actually treasuring what other people think of me, right? Uh, For you, it might be control. In those moments where you're losing control, and everything seems upside down, and you are not exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, that's just a good little trigger warning, a little yellow flag in your mind. You're like, oh, okay, I don't seem to be walking in the Spirit. I think I'm leaning on the flesh. Maybe I'm leaning too hard on having control, and I need to get back in step with the Spirit, and I need to trust that, you know what, God's in control. I'm not. I'm not in control, but God is. And so whatever those may be for you, I think we all have kind of different flare-ups, different places where we see that kind of fall apart, and we don't seem to be exhibiting that fruit of the Spirit, that's a good place for you to stop and say, who am I really serving? Who am I really treasuring more than Jesus, more than his Spirit in that moment? The last thing I want us to see is that gospel partners complete the mission. Gospel partners complete the mission. As I said, if you read all of Philippians, and I'd encourage you just read through the whole book. It's, it's not long. Read through it a few times this week as we think about this. Uh, but Paul entangles the spiritual reality of being in Christ with the tactical reality of, hey, when I was in prison, you brought me a meal and you sent me some money. And that was really helpful, right? He 
he combines both of those. And he says both of those are partnership. And that's what we're trying to do as we think about the organization of our church, is to say we always want to continue to highlight the spiritual reality of what it means to trust Jesus and the spiritual power and life that that brings. But then how should we tactically organize ourselves so we can row in the same, to get, uh, same direction, row together? Look at chapter 4. So we saw... Back when I first read chapter 1, we talked about that grace coming out and them helping Paul in his imprisonment and in the defense of the gospel. Paul mentioned that kind of as a passing statement in chapter 1. Now he's coming back to some of these in chapter 4. So we were in Galatians, we'll flip back over Ephesians, then to Philippians. We're going to flip over to Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses Uh, 10 through 15. I know on the screen it just says 15, but I'm going to read more verses. Is that okay? Okay. I didn't wait for you to say yes. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. Okay, here's a really funny little rabbit trail that Paul goes on. Paul's going to say, I'm so thankful that you helped me out. But hey, just to be clear, I don't really need help because Jesus has got me, right? And so Paul, like us, you know, he's flipping back and forth through that spiritual reality of, you know what, if everything falls apart, I still got Jesus and everything's going to be fine. Romans 8, 28, I know that I'm in his hands and I'm going to be fine. But you know what, it sure makes a big difference if y'all would help me out when things fall apart, right? Makes a big difference. So Paul is going on this little rabbit trail and he says, verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the the big coffee cup verse, right? Verse 13, you ready? I can do all things through him who who strengthens me. Now, I had a t-shirt in the 80s. It was like a picture of a bunch of people doing athletic things. I was a part of Fellowship of Christian Athletes in the 80s, and that's actually how I came to Christ. So I'm very thankful for that organization, but the t-shirt was a little dumb, okay? So I'm sorry, I know some of you have the same t-shirt, but it's actually wrong because this verse is not about running the hurdles or playing defensive end, okay? This verse is actually knowing how to be content when things go well and when things go badly. So there's this supernatural participation we have in God's grace that enables us to trust him when things go well and when things go badly, when we have money and when we don't have money. But then Paul's going to say, but you know what Christian community does? Christian community, we rally around each other in those times and we help each other out. We don't just stand at at a distance and say, well, you need to learn the secret of contentment, buddy, right? Like when your friend is crying, Romans says we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. So we are to meet people emotionally where they are and come alongside and help them. We are to serve each other in love. Paul talked earlier in chapter 1 about them helping him when he was imprisoned and helping them in his defense of the gospel. And here he's going to say the same kind of thing, verse 14 and 15. It was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership, there's that word again, partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So we have missionaries that are sponsored by like five different churches that we sponsor as well. We have some missionaries that are sponsored by a lot of individuals and family and friends that kind of help them accomplish their mission, but they've only got one church behind them as a whole church, and that's us. 
And so they could write a similar kind of letter to us. They could write a letter and say, you know what? The Lord is teaching me to be content in any circumstance, but boy, it makes a difference uh, that you helped me when I was in the hospital and I couldn't pay the bill and you guys financially supported me. That made a huge difference. Thank you. You know what? You're the only church that's been supporting me. Uh, The rest has just been my aunts and uncles and friends and family. So thank you for supporting me. And what they're talking about is financial support and letters and prayers and phone calls and meetings and having them over. It's the same kind of thing. It's tactical, concrete support of the ministry, we'll say, just in broad terms, right? Uh, Those that are trying to proclaim the gospel in new places, those that are spiritual leaders in the church. And Paul is saying, don't misunderstand. I know that God will work everything out for me, but your tactical partnership in helping me complete the mission makes a profound difference. And I thank you for it, and I recognize it as an expression of the reality that you're an actual partner with Jesus. So as I said, throughout the whole book, he mixes these things up. And he says, being a partner with Jesus spiritually changes us. It changes our heart. And you know what happens when your heart is changed? You want to help people. When your heart is changed and you are no longer greedily hanging on to everything you've got and recognize that, you know what, Jesus is going to take care of me. It helps you to loosen your grip on the things that you have. It helps you to share your money. It helps you to share your time. It helps you to share your emotional space being with people, helps you to serve others. And that's what Paul is recognizing here. Paul's recognizing that picture of the Philippians coming alongside him and helping him complete his mission. And again, that's our prayer here, that we would be those kinds of people, that we would serve each other in those ways. Uh, I grabbed a picture here of a story from about 20 years ago. I think this was the Barcelona Olympics when I was in high school or college about 20 years ago. And in the Barcelona Olympics, there was a British sprinter named Derek Redmond. Uh, And Derek Redmond felt called to be a runner. God had gifted him. He was one of the fastest men in the world. He trained his entire life, and he made it to the Olympics. And as he's running his race, he's running the 400 meter, which is one lap, right? And so uh, I remember running that in high school. In high school, it's almost a sprint. But for an Olympian, it's a sprint, right? (laughs) Running full speed for an entire lap around the track, and his leg just kind of explodes on the the last straightaway. He tears a muscle, and, you know, he starts limping, and he falls to the track, and, of course, he's in tears, uh, and he's stumbling around. It's hard to even stand. And you know what happens is his dad somehow, his father somehow breaks through security and makes his way out onto the track during the Olympics. And his dad comes and picks him up, And his dad says, it's going to be all right, and we're going to finish together. And his dad helps him to complete the mission. They stumble and limp across the finish line. I think that's a beautiful picture of what the Lord does for us. And and John, when Jesus is, is leaving the disciples, he tells the disciples, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And that word for the Holy Spirit is sometimes translated comforter, sometimes helper. It's literally in Greek, the come alongsider. I'm I'm sending the one that's going to come alongside you and is going to help you finish this race. You think you're all alone, but you're not all alone. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to send my spirit to help you limp across the finish line. And I want you to see that. And I want you to see that because Jesus does that for us, that empowers us to do that for each other, right? Like if you think you're on your own, if you think you're an orphan that's got to fight and scrap for whatever you're going to get in this life, you don't have a lot of room to help each other. But if, if you think you are a son or a daughter of the king of the universe, if you know 
that nothing can separate you from the love that God has for you in Christ Jesus, that will free you to be able to serve other people. That will free you to come alongside others and help them to complete the mission. As we recognize that Jesus has done that for us and we're going to be that same kind of completer and helper to others. We're going to come alongside others just as Paul recognizes what the Philippians did for him, that tactical help when he was in prison and when he was in difficulty. They came alongside him and they relieved his stress. We want to be that same kind of family for each other. We want to come alongside each other. We want to help each other specifically with our time, specifically with our money, specifically with our emotional resources. For some of us, those things are easier than others, right? Some of us are are free with our time, but not with our money. Some of us are are free with our emotions, but not with our time, right? And God comes alongside and he, he frees us up to share the things that he's given us with others because we know the secret of contentment. We know that Jesus has taken care of us so we can help take care of each other. As we think about where we're going with all this, I wanted to end by looking at one more use of the word partnership. There's a million other uses in the New Testament, but one more use of that word partnership in Philippians. Philippians chapter three. And I thought uh, if you're claustrophobic, don't close your eyes, but if you're willing, you maybe just close your eyes as I read this last little section from Philippians three. Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share or partner in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Let me pray. God, we praise you because in the midst of the pain and the brokenness that we feel, the very real disasters that are looming around us all the time, the flood waters that rise, the sin that creeps up on our own heart. We recognize that you're the solution. God, thank you that you've made us your own. Thank you that you've made us family. Father, I pray that you would teach us as a group, as a local church, how to organize ourselves as a healthy family. But we want to just step back and thank you that we can be confident that you, who began the good work in our life, will carry it on to completion. We praise you for that. We thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name.